Companies are built off profitability. The investments you make are designed to support the products or services that you sell. But let's be honest for a moment. You like buying the things that are core to your business because that's what you care about. The secondary expenses that occur, well, those are less fun. Whether you're dealing in electronics, retail, mortgages, or even selling hamburgers, inevitably there are expenses that arise that don't support your product. So how do you cut down on those expenses? And how can all that data gathered from shipping and receiving actually improve your profit margins? What's not core to you is core to us. What I mean by core to your business is at Harley-Davidson, they make motorcycles, right? So what do they source and buy? Steel, bolts, oil, leather. But what they also need to operate their business is they need marketing. They need packaging. They need stores to sell their motorcycles in, right? Their retail operation. They need to ship things. It's everything else. Craig Garno is the CTO at Logic Source, and he's helping companies such as Lululemon, Big Lots, and Tupperware cut down and streamline their spending. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, Craig explains why companies that fail to focus on indirect services will struggle to scale the business by also paying more for their fair market value. Plus, Craig dives into how Logic Source is helping these businesses trim the fat on those investments and the role that data management plays in its efforts. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have Craig Garno. Craig is the CTO of Logic Source. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you? Great. Now we do this with all of our guests. So right out the gate, please tell our audience what is Logic Source and what does it do? Sure, Albert. Logic Source is a uh, a company that we founded in 2009. Okay, and uh, what we what we do uh, for a living and what we provide for our clients is we're a sourcing and procurement services and technology provider. What does that mean? So the the space we operate in is what's called indirect procurement. So we help companies buy indirect goods and services better, manage services with people, process and also with technology. Indirect categories in our space, packaging, facilities, marketing, distribution and logistics. Everything that doesn't touch the product or the service that the, the core business is, is selling to their clients, right? So it's everything else they buy. You mentioned something there that I didn't even really think about. Indirect sourcing, you, you said specifically that Logic Source specifically focuses on indirect sourcing. So this is not like an RFP tool, like, a, like an Ariba or something like that. I've had to deal with those. That, that thing sucks. Uh, <laughs> but... but you're talking about specific, you know, the way you described indirect sourcing is when I need to buy something that is not core to my business. Can you please explain a little bit more about that? Because you kind of hinted at a couple things, but I always thought that everything I did was core to my business. You know what I mean? Like, I would just assume every role that bought services or technology was buying something core to their business. Explain a little bit more like how something could be not core, yet you would still need to buy it. You know, I'll quote our CEO and founder, David Tonino. You know, one of the things that David says is 
what's not core to you is core to us. What I mean by core to your business is at Harley Davidson, they make motorcycles, right? right? So what do they source and buy? Steel, bolts, oil, leather, so on and so forth, right? But what they also need to operate their business is they need marketing. They need packaging. They need stores to sell their motorcycles in, right? Their retail uh, operation. They need to ship things, right? So it's everything else, right? They need marketing. Those things don't necessarily, those aren't the direct side of, of sourcing and procurement, right? Direct goods, steel, oil, leather, et cetera, right? Logic Source focuses on everything else. And, and the idea here, and you know, where we got started with the business is it really was an, a set of categories that just aren't focused on by, by companies. They're focused on you know, Burger King wants to buy, you know, wants to buy uh, ground chuck as good as they can, right? But are they really thinking about the lighting in their store? Well, I'm sure they are. Well, now they are, you know, with companies like ours helping them. So tell us, how do your customers, how do customers even begin to know what they want to indirectly source? Is it you just look at the, you know, I'm trying to figure out like you're in the boardroom one day and like, oh my gosh, we're having all these problems. How do we even get a solution for it? So I'll use a I'll use a retail example because I I usually can think of retail examples kind of quickly. I'm assuming like the security systems at the retail store, right? Like they don't know what they don't know what to buy because that's not their game, right? So what you know again often not thought of or focused on because again of the uh, you know of the direct side will oftentimes you know through through an introduction and a relationship get an opportunity with a CFO or a CEO. Right. And then ultimately a CPO and their sourcing organization and and show them that, you know, if left unattended, you know, there's your your business is potentially spending hundreds of millions or a billion dollars on indirect goods and services. Wow. And, you know, yeah, savings opportunities from seven to 20 plus percent and, you know, proven through what we do. So, you know, it's really trying to make that message resonate. How is there so much savings available, I guess, in the indirect sourcing market? Because I think I have an understanding, but I'd love for you to expand upon it. You had mentioned just a moment ago that there's between 7 and 20% savings potentially in each type of service that is indirectly sourced. What is the principal cause for this savings to exist or like this buying inefficiency to exist? Is it simply because people don't pay attention to it or they don't understand the category, so they don't want to vet all the vendors? I want our audience to understand the core of the problem. Why does it exist and why it needs a service like Logic Source to help solve it? Yeah, again, they're focused on it on direct, right? Right, because that's where you know most of the most of the uh, uh, really the resources focus. But you know what we find in our clients, there's a lack of data because a lot of indirect is done manually still, right? Where there's technology, it perhaps wasn't implemented completely or it was shelved things like that. So what you get out of that is you get, you know, supplier fragmentation, you get rogue buying, you get, you know, non-compliance of price, you get you don't get governance over your supply chain. Right? Those disciplines that may be on the direct side just aren't there on the indirect side. And that's where we come into the picture. So talk about how a software or a technology product helps to solve this because in any business there's inevitably something else that's indirect, right? <laughs> so right. you mentioned before marketing. So marketing can both be a transactional thing. I want to buy a billboard. So that's inventory I can directly buy or time on a television show. That's direct inventory. But it can also be service-based 
where I need someone with some type of domain experience to do something for me. So there's a lot of vetting in that. Talk about how the software fill that gap to help vet all these different options from a transactional product to a service. Well, absolutely. So if you think about our product suite, Albert, right, we start with One Market Insights. And One Market Insights is a is a spend analytics solution that we offer. And what that does is provide, to use the title or the brand, provide insight into a company's indirect spend data. Okay. So in, in that solution, we take data feeds from our client systems or and also through our own systems. And we take that data, we normalize, we categorize, we classify, we enrich, et cetera, et cetera, so that we can make that data tell a story. Right for our sourcing teams that help our clients and or a business's sourcing team should they be running their own, that sort of thing. So so one market insights starts the starts the work by you know showing really you know uh, uh, the profile of, of of spend on the indirect side and and uh, you know that's how you get started. That's where you see the opportunities, right? So and you can compare that to industry benchmarks. You know, companies in this space should be spending X amount of dollars or as a percentage of revenue, et cetera, et cetera, on a category. And, um, you know, you can benchmark from there. And that's how, you know, our uh, mutual, evalu- mutual value assessment process and in our solutioning, you know, we'll use data like that to, uh, to form a solution for, for our clients. So, right, you know, right out of the gate, One Market Insights is, uh, you know, is, is doing that for us. And, and then, you know, as you, as you roll through, you know, uh, you know, steady state and things like that. Once you're operating with your clients, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna continually take data out of these solutions and, you know, and replay that again, looking for opportunity, continuously improve, improving on on the theme. So that's one aspect of doing some market analysis. Let's go back to my retail example of if I was looking for security systems in my retail stores. You know, that data sounds like I could know what by, you know, store revenue, what percentage of revenue is being spent on the door systems. It can probably tell me what percentage of total sales or percentage of, you know, square footage, probably a lot of quantitative data points. What about the qualitative side? How do I know if something's good, right? Because seeing how much someone else spends is one thing. Knowing what's good to buy is another. Is, is, do you guys play a part in evaluating the qualitative results of these implementations? Really um, qualitative. I'll, I'll I'll speak to that really from a from a compliance and a governance perspective. Okay, so you know what we'll also do with our clients is get involved in in helping them uh, create contracts out of these out of these market exercises that we'll do. So so you know we're going to look to make sure there's good governance, there's good uh, good you know just simply terms and whatnot in supplier agreements that get put together and. Again, in our category, in our category, in our center of excellence, you know, where our category expertise is, you know, that's that's a way that we'll we'll ensure that you know we're getting qualitative results from a supply chain. In addition, you know, you think about things like service level agreements, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, build that build that into your agreements, and then you know to think about that from a technology perspective. Uh, One market contracts is our repository. For housing all of those agreements that get put in place, and that's a highly searchable contract repository solution, you know, to help help companies, you know, understand their agreements, know about their agreements, find their agreements, find out what's in them, and you know, bring all that stuff to bear. So this is a very data driven product. No, yeah. I'm curious. I read a fun. I read a fun little thing. 
about it uh, or about you specifically. It sounds like in 2015 you were named the CTO, but there was a little blurb in the intro that kind of surprised me. All right. That you were the first CTO, meaning the company did not have one previously. So how was the company building its technology? And then talk about how you transformed that, because it seems, it seems odd that a technology company would not have a CTO prior to, prior to you joining. Well, if you think about the, you know, the 11 and a half or so years that we've been at it, you know, our, our focus really on services, right? Services with technology. Okay. So, you know, coming to Logic Source, I've always been a product development guy. I love, I love building software. I love building applications, web applications. It's, it's what excites me to this day. And so, you know, at Logic Source, as a services organization, we, um, we bought or merged into the organization at inception, you know, procurement technology that myself and, and a team of people had architected in a prior life. So we merged that business into this business. And, you know, what David wanted to do, David Panino, what he wanted to do is he wanted to start a services business with a technology platform. He wanted an operating platform. So I had known Davis, David in a, in a previous life and, um, you know, he knew what I was doing and, and uh, you know, he brought our technology into the firm. And, you know, over time, again, as a services firm, we continued to invest in that technology, but, you know, services are the core of the business. Now, bring that forward, other applications that we bring, uh, you know, that, we st- that started to merge in the, app- in the, uh, in the business, uh, one market portfolio, uh, one market insights, so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, you, you, and you put on top of that security, right? You know, I'm not sure if we'll talk much about security here. I'm sure we will, but, you know, you, you start to look at the things that are going on to operate, you know, any business, uh, especially one where now we're technology and data are really driving the decisions and, you know, the value that we're providing for clients. And, uh, you know, you, you come up with a set of requirements for, uh, for a CTO role for sure. And, uh, you know, look, it's, as you know, rapidly evolving and, um, you've got to be cross-disciplined yours, you know, your, uh, you know, one day, one day your product, the next day your security, the next day your IT, the next day you're you're in front of a client. So um, you know, it needs it needs an executive role. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear this evolution because you know, you already are building, it sounds like you're building a product, it gets merged into Logic Source. One of the things that CTOs, product officers, different people inside the tech stack of a tech company. They always talk about is they inevitably you run into customers that introduce use cases that you did not think about before, right? Yeah, but that's your fate. That's the best use case. It's the best part, Albert. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. Talk about some of the first things that you were surprised about that, you know, we were like, wow, we have a challenge in front of us. Because, you know, I think in a lot of a lot of people's minds that it's like an easy transition that you can be merged into a company that you're just continue building your product and there's no problems, but inevitably the company that, you know, you merge into, they always bring you a use case that you just, you just weren't planning for. Yeah. Look, that's okay. That's uh, you know, I'll tell you, there's nothing better Albert than working with a client that wants to partner on a solution around something you haven't done. That's, that's when, when, you, when you have a relationship like we have with, with, with some of our clients where, you know, they've got a core problem, right? They're, they're not, they've got antiquated technology um, for stores to buy 
facilities, supplies, right? And, and they want to solve that problem. And you've got a relationship where they trust you and they've got a set of use cases. And then you're probably going to be talking about features you don't have already, right? Right. You know, that's, there's nothing like partnering with a client around a set of use cases. And, and you know, you want, you want to make both of your businesses together, better together, I should say, right? But you want to make both of your businesses better together. So, you know, so that, that's, the, that's the first thing is, is partnering with clients is just exciting. And, you know, prior to CTO role and, and product evolution and technology as a priority, as a, as a business strategy for logic source, you know, you're, you're focused internally, right? You're focused on, okay, technology for our team to operate and things like that. But, you know, here you're, you're with clients, you're, you're designing products and solutions that, that, that deliver value to your clients. So, you know, that's, uh, again, super exciting. The idea around use cases you haven't run into, you know, simply you've got to design products that can be flexible such that you can turn features on and off yet not make your product too heavy. And that's really a big part of it is, is trying to make software that's flexible yet doesn't get too heavy. So, um, you know, that's been a, certainly been a trick for us. And, and again, as a services-oriented firm, you know, we're into the use case we don't know about. We like that. So you mentioned a little bit earlier as well on this concept of security that you have. And you also said that, I mean, the way you have all this data on what people are spending is you actually have access to their contracts. How did you convince people to, because I feel like that's one of those things that people don't like to give up, right? They don't want to give up seats to their sales force. Don't look at who I'm talking to. Mm. <laughs> and, and the other thing they don't want you to, don't look at what I'm spending my money on. <laughs> so in order to collect that data, you need to obviously know what every company is spending uh, by you know service, by category, by unit, yeah. whatever the number is. It's, it's You got to have it in order for you to create a benchmark to begin with. How did you convince people or how what was the process like to get people to trust you to say, hey, you can have my contracts. I want you to have this because I need to know, you know something else. Well, look, any, anytime you start with a, a new client relationship where they're going to be sharing data, right? Any, anytime you start with that, the, the first thing you're going to, first thing I'm probably going to do is meet with their security team, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you meet with, you meet with a group of people who send you a, you know, a, a, a hundred, 200 questions that you have to answer right? Right. Security RFI. Oh, I hated those. And, you know, you need to be able to back that up. So, you know, you're assessed and there's times you're audited and you've got to have the things in place, whether it be a leader in the security area, and we have a leader in the security area for our business, you've got to have a framework. You've got to have some things that uh, you're compliant to. In our business, it's SOC, right? Service organization compliance, you know, and, uh, you know, where you've been audited around uh, the controls that you have in place. And, you know, and then you, you know, on a day-to-day, you know, basis, you, you got to practice it. So, so it's putting the controls in place, proving to your clients that you, you can do that and take care of their data and, and then backing it up with audit, you know? Um, other things we do, you know, we're uh, through third parties doing pen tests, vulnerability assessments on our networks, on our applications, um, you know, things like that. So, you know, it's actually a thing unto itself, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, you're taking care of your clients, their data and, you know, keeping everything whole. I totally get it. Every you were bringing up some dreaded memories of getting uh, <laughs> the security requirement documents. I once lost a deal, by the way. I, I thought I should share this. I once lost a deal. It was for a media company. They made movies, 
and they wanted uncapped liability or uncapped, uncapped something liability. I want to say if we, cause we were a social platform. They're like, if you release any of our like trailers, if you release any information that could possibly lead to someone knowing the ending of the movie, we want uncapped liability. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, if you ruin my weekend, my weekend can be a hundred million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like I can't, I can't be responsible for that. <laughs> well, and and you know, and again, a logic source, you, you know, you, you're dealing with some of the biggest brands in the in the again in the country, and maybe even global yeah. brands. You, you know, they're writing this stuff. You know, you know, our clients are writing these, you know, protections into their agreements. So, you know, so it's, uh, you know, look, ten years ago, no, today it's as important of any as any of the silos that you know the, the technology business serves. You know, it really is. So talk about the innovation in your space. What are you excited for, to work on? What are you hopeful of working on? Because uh, I joked with one of my friends who works at Carfax and I was saying, oh, it's just a database of car data. Like, what could you possibly do with it? And they're like, oh, you can't imagine. Like, they were talking about all these different things that and I was kind of taken aback. For yourselves, you know, this is, you have the buying data of many, many different companies. What do you envision the, how the product could potentially change over the next let's say year, five years, I don't know what your timeline or horizon is, but how do you think, what other services are going to come from all this uh, data that you have collected? Well, look, first of all, we don't have five or 10 years to do it. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so um, you know, we're, we're pretty resourceful uh, around this kind of stuff, but really, you know, the focus has to be on data. So with our own technology across the continuum of source to pay, Again, insights, contracts, procure to pay, portfolio, which I didn't really talk about, spend, project, sourcing, performance management. You know, we're able to collect a lot of data, right? And that data today, you know, gets anonymized, aggregated, summarized, you know, normalized, et cetera, et cetera, similar to what I, the way I talked about insights. But, you know, that data gets, you know, is, is really getting, you know, collected into a, you know, a large repository that will then let us take that data, turn it around and turn it into insights, turn it into market intelligence, turn it into product, things like that. So, you know, on top of just managing core products that transact and, and drive value for our clients, it's really the data that we're getting out of those that, you know, um, you know, that really represents, you know, the future where we're, you know, where we're taking technology in our business. Right. So how about like any personal wishes that you have for yourself that, you know, you hope to unlock? What would be an ideal scenario or what would be a dream state for, uh, for the procure to pay industry of something? If you could create it, you'd want to create it. Ah, that's a great question. I guess at the end of the day, what I want to be known for is having to build a, a suite of products that a lot of customers use. And by the way, a lot of customers like using them. For me, when I have a software client that's 10 plus years that predates this business, for me, actually, that's, I'm going to say that's kind of the dream, right? The fact that you were able to do something that people like to use and solves a business problem, gives them value, gives them a return, you know, and, that, and that's, again, that's why I wake up every day about thinking, thinking about product. What can we do differently? And, and I think the key to it from what we've seen is, you know, keeping the products pretty straightforward, not overly complicated, don't over-engineer the stuff, you know, and, and then, you know, collect the data so you can, you know, then mix that back into the, uh, mix that back into the, you know, the solution or, or, 
intelligence that you're able to use in your business for your clients or for your, or to your clients. Yeah. Well, as a total noob, that's what, and again, I'm not in the procure to pay space anymore. Although I do have to buy things every now and then they have no idea what they are uh, for mission. Yeah. I like to think of it from a consumer side. It's like, what is my ultimate pain? My ultimate pain is me spending money on something that doesn't work. It's actually not spending the money for me. The ultimate pain is spending money on something that doesn't work. So I feel like the future, just as my opinion, you know, you take is going to be in the qualitative side. Like, I feel like that would be because if not, if you not only have the quantitative data where I could say, oh, wow, definitively, this is a good bucket to invest in this service line. Now the question becomes, well, how do I pick out the right one? Because this is just me. I feel like that would be super beneficial to any buyer because when you are buying something, you don't necessarily, like you said, you should buy principal business. You don't want to get ripped off. Now, some services are pretty transactional. Like I feel like, you know, I don't know. Let's go back to my retail example, like, uh, you know, cleaning services. I feel like that's, you know, it's kind of transactional. What's really tough is like software or you like kind of talked about or like, like marketing, right? Marketing is, we, we know that's not all the same. Some agencies are going to be better than others. So that qualitative piece feels like something that buyers would, would love to have. Anyways, those are just my two cents. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, when you're out in the market looking for services, it's, it's a different type of sourcing exercise, right? So yeah. when you think about sourcing goods and services, goods is, you know, I, uh, I need a rate card. I need unit prices. I've got a list of, I've got a list of SKUs. I need prices on those things. I need a, uh, you know, a price per thousand, you know, this, that sort of thing. When you're out sourcing services, it's, you, you know, you're, you're shopping from, not from a quote standpoint, but more from a proposal standpoint. So so you're not only going to, you know, get the price for a proposal or the pricing for a proposal from your the supply chain you're you're working with, but you're also going to want to know, you know, all of the I'll use your word qualitative aspects of a service they're looking to provide, right? So there's rates, there's um, again, there's SLAs. What's the measure of success? You know, that sort of thing. That's a good one. So it's it's a different type of uh, sourcing exercise. A and B buy, and you know, you're looking to really you know, you're really looking to put in a services agreement, a contract that represents all, you know, not only the dollars, but the, again, the qualitative side of things. So, and when you, when you do that in a, in a firm like Logic Source, you know, you're, you're employing, or, you know, category experts. So there, there are people in our business that, you know, just buy marketing services. There are people in our business that buy, you know, commercial print, uh, you know, where they, you know, need prices per thousand, that sort of thing. So there's people who buy benefits programs, there's people who buy, you know, legal services, it's, it's goods versus services. They're completely different. And, and, you know, to that point, you know, the technology has got to be able to, A, help source those types of things, and B, you know, help companies buy and pay for those kinds of things. So yeah, they, they actually, you know, from a from a procurement perspective and from a sourcing technology perspective, yeah, they're they're treated differently. So, and you know, we've got it covered. Trust me. <laughs> no, no, I find that super fascinating. I I was we listening to you talk. I was thinking to myself, man, I wonder if Logic Source ever becomes like the hub for sourcing in in this regard. Meaning, if you know, let's say, I don't know, let's use your steel example. X number of customers are looking for steel. Does it ever become the hub where it can like? Execute a contract on behalf of its customers, which would be insane, right? Because it could have it aggregates all the buying requests and says, "Hey, we actually want to buy, you know, X times one hundred. Yeah, the, you know, the, that's that's the thought of having um, 
you know, more of a, uh, uh, I think they, they call that a, a GPO, right? Mm-hmm. You are the buy. And um, I'd say that's probably not, you know, not so much where we're at, but what we want to do is we want to have the data that explains all that, mm-hmm. that helps bring the, the right answer to the surface and saves the sourcing exercise, right? So if you if you've got a if you've got a enough insight and you know and uh, and, and again data in your in your cash, you know you don't need to go to market. You you know you've got a collection of contract examples again all anonymized and whatnot, where you can you can predict you can go faster to get to that to get to that answer and get to a more accurate answer because you're basing that on on quantitative data rather than going to market every uh, you know every couple of years with the same sort of replay. You are the first. I'm pretty sure you're the first. I don't know if you're the only company in this, but you're definitely the first company on IT Visionaries that's focused on indirect sourcing. I mean, right. I've not heard of this as, a, as its own category before, but it makes total sense. I mean, like you, you already said it, tons of companies rely on tons of services that have nothing. They don't really have to do with their business. Every company, Albert, right? Right. Every company. So yeah, there you go. Every company. Yeah, that's true. I just... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Every company has this problem. And so, you know, I've never thought, you know, and this is where this is where it's pretty fascinating. We always talk to different founders, leaders, technologists, whatever the case may be. There's always these markets of like just accumulating problems. Like there's people that are accumulating these problems and like technology is the answer to solve these things. It's pretty fascinating what you've shared with us. But before you go, it's time for the lightning round. So the lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Craig, this is where we ask you questions outside of work. Some of it involves work, but yes. So our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. We're always curious because CTOs get pitched a lot of things. How many unread emails do you have in your inbox right now? Oh no, that's an embarrassing question. (laughs) Um, I have a lot, you know, we cover a lot of areas in, in, in the business, in the role. And, uh, you know, as I said at the top and, uh, I focus on the the things that are client oriented and um, and uh, leadership oriented. You know, and there's there's a lot of stuff in there uh, that you know. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a humbling question. Hey, listen, there's really only two people, right? Inbox zeros, inbox one hundred thousand. Sound like <laughs> you know what? That's so true. <laughs> there's no one with just like five unread emails. <laughs> and David, David is uh, my inbox empty every day. I empty it every day. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's a great question. So as a technologist, what is one piece of technology that you cannot live without and do not say your phone? So you throw your phone and computer out. So you have to, oh, wow. what's a gizmo or thing that you like that you just say, hey, I have to have this with me at all times or as much as possible. Uh, sorry. Um, what can I rename my phone to be? Can I call it something <laughs> else? Can I call it my communications device? What was it called on Star Trek, right? My communicator? I need my communicator. <laughs> yeah. You got to throw your phone out. Everything, everyone knows they're addicted to their phone. That's a, that's a given. They can't function without. We, we go scrambling for like a, you know, like we're addicts when we can't locate it for some reason. Well, I guess, you know, look, you know, we've become connected to everything. So I'm going to say uh, satellite in my car. <laughs> you know, we've got a long commute to Connecticut. So, um, you know, so having content on the, on the, on the ride is, uh, is, is pretty important. So I, I, that's kind of a, that's a must. How many miles do you drive one way to go to work? Truthfully, 90. 90. Wow, that's intense. Are you looking forward to autonomous vehicles? 
Yes, I am. And um, my, my son actually um, uh, drives a Tesla a lot. And he's, he's just really bending my, trying to bend my arm to get a Tesla. So that gets us down the road. And he uh, actually has a similar long commute. And, uh, you know, he's, he's dead. You, you, long ride, you got to get the Tesla. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and the other thing is, you know, we go over the, uh, the Mario Cuomo bridge there. So I, I you know, I swore when, uh, you know, there's going to be a day where I, I have a helicopter. I just fly over it. There you go. Listen, my, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. I've, I've read about how, like, um, you know, one of my friends, he actually moved from New York to Sao Paulo. And he said, Sao Paulo's actually got worse traffic than New York. And he says, like, it's like the helicopter of the major cities. It's one of, like, the helicopter capitals. Like, most people commute, uh, commute via helicopter, if you can, because that's how bad traffic's on the ground. I was like, man, that's when you know you've made it, when you have a chopper taking you from building to building. We're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you like to do outside of work for fun? Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, so look, um, uh, everyone at work knows uh, I, I really value family. Um, I've got four children, um, uh, my wife, Janet, and, uh, and a crazy German shepherd we call Stella. Uh, so look, I like, to, uh, I like to spend a lot of time with my family. Um, you know, they're all in the 20 something range now. So, and, and, you know, with the pandemic, several of them still around here. So, so we do that. Uh, also, you know, for me, um, I like being outdoors, right? So whether it's hiking with my daughter, uh, I run, uh, I'm a cyclist, I'm a lifetime cyclist. So try and stay fit in the middle of all of this, um, product development. There you go. Now I got to ask, since you're a cyclist, what is the average pace? What is your pace that you typically ride at miles per hour? Okay, well, you know, I, I'm not 20 anymore. Okay, Albert. So, uh, so uh, I, I've done some racing, uh, you know, weekend warrior stuff, right? But you know, I, I actually rode last night, and I, I think I was 16 and a half, 16 and a half miles an hour on a 25 mile loop. So, you know, not bad. I only ride 25 miles. Dang. 25. Nah, come on, that's not much. Listen, the furthest I've ever ridden my bike is uh, I did like a thing of 14 mile ride once, and I was like, this is I just. I didn't feel very good afterward, but everyone told me your body positioning matters a lot and you have to get your bike measured to make it so that's ergonomic. I was like, man, I don't know, 14 miles. I, I felt terrible. My, not like my legs felt terrible, but like my body, like, cause I think I was not in ergonomically good position, you know, and yeah. held my body in that position for too long. Bike fit and a strong core is important. <laughs> it is. Listen, you said strong core, but you know, my, I like, I like to keep my core soft. So, uh, <laughs> Craig, it was awesome having you on the show today for IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your perspective in the world of indirect sourcing. As you said, this is something every company goes through. So this is really cool hearing about how the data of the contracts here can actually help people make better decisions. It makes total sense. You just wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that this is like even a category, but here, here we are. Well, that's great, Albert. Thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's certainly my pleasure and our business's uh, pleasure to be here and, and uh, be with you guys today. And, uh, you're a great host. You've done a great job. So thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, stay safe on the roads. I know that the drivers don't like cyclists. I, not me. I, I avoid cyclists, but I know some, you know, get a little aggressive. <laughs> stay safe out there. Thank you, sir. Thank you.